Hello everyone, welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Plastic Planet podcast. Today we have a very special guest and uh, she's uh, very informative. I must say I am looking forward to this topic. We are discussing microplastics. What are microplastics and really why should we care? I hope you do enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is Caitlin Firth, and I'm a PhD candidate at Stellenbosch University. I'm in the Faculty of Agri-Science in the Department of Meat Science. And the main aim for my department is to try and increase both the safety and sustainability of the meats that we eat. Um, my research in particular involves invisible and novel pollutants in marine mussels, the ones that are living on our coastline. And this includes heavy metals like lead, cadmium, and mercury. It also includes pesticides. And most importantly, it includes microplastics. The aim of my PhD research is to create baseline data on contamination levels in mussels from the Western Cape province, and to use that to assess the risk of seafood consumption for, um, for people. And the Western Cape is notably the province in South Africa with the most aquaculture farms. So they uh, create fish, products like mussels, oysters, and abalone. And industries like this create a lot of jobs and food security for local people. They're incredibly important and they need to be protected from pollution that generally comes from the land into the ocean where they farm their seafood. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that is a mouthful. Um, yeah, I think just just hearing what you say and um you know what uh, when you say microplastics especially important um is is one of the topics that you are interested in you know because a lot of the times we think of microplastics in as in like it's just plastic right it's just like this one you know little commodity if you will and it's you know it's really not a big deal um, so yeah, what is what is plastic and what what why is it a big deal? So plastic is a big deal because it's generally not a natural material. Plastic is a synthetic material that we as humans make. And it's also a problem because it's derived generally from fossil fuels. So it's not particularly good for the planet, even in production. Unfortunately, plastic became really, really popular worldwide because it's so easy to use. It can so easily be made into any shape. It's very durable, it's flexible, it's corrosion resistant, it's lightweight, and most importantly, it's incredibly cheap to make. So its popularity worldwide has exploded since it was invented in the 1950s. Yeah, so I, I you say the 1950s, uh, that is not mm -hmm. a long time ago, hey? Um, so what has been the trajectory of plastic production between 1950 and now? Do you, are you seeing... A very vast difference? Oh, there's a massive difference. In the 1950s, we were producing, I think it was 1.5 million tons of plastic per annum um, for the whole planet. And by 2011 already, we were producing over 280 million tons wow. per annum, which is pretty terrifying. And it's I think we we're producing approximately in 2020, it was about 400 million tons of plastic per annum. Um, and the projections are not good. It's projected to just simply increase and increase and increase. 
if we continue as business as usual. Um, I think, do you know, I, a lot of the times when I talk to people about plastics, they say, but is it, is it bad? Um, you know, should we ban plastics completely or should we, you know, should we have a certain relationship with plastic? So uh, my, my question to you is, what is your relationship with plastic? Uh, how should we, you know, just treat this polymer that is such a big thing now? Well, I think we're all constantly exposed to plastic every day in our lives. Um, and there's very few plastic alternatives. They're often very expensive. Um, I try to my best to avoid plastics where possible. And if I have to use them, I will recycle or reuse them or eco-brick them if they can't be recycled. Um, I think the plastic is incredibly necessary and very, very useful in our society in many instances of industries. But I think our over-reliance on plastics and our inability to properly recycle or dispose of plastic waste is a real, real issue because we need to take more seriously something that may outlive us when we throw it away. It can't just be an out of sight, out of mind situation. We have to actually care what happens to that product after we used it only one time. Oh, wow. Yes. And I think when you say it's something that will outlive us, um, you know, when you think about the life cycle of plastic from production and the use of fossil fuel and the cost of that to when we use it and put it in our hands to not think about, you know, what the lifetime of it in the environment is, um, you know, just talk to us through that. How, how much should we be aware of that cycle? Well, we need to be way more aware of it because not only is it resulting in large scale plastic pollution, so things like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which many people have heard of. It's that it's a section of the ocean where currents have caused a large portion of the waste we've thrown into the ocean to collect into a patch and most of it is plastic waste. Um, where that is a serious concern. We can cause serious pollution of our oceans and that's the larger pieces of plastic. We worry about things like uh, marine life ingesting them and killing turtles, dolphins, whales. It's a very big problem. And then there is the terrifying concern that those plastics will create microplastics and microplastics, we they're harder to quantify, they're harder to find in the environment. And it's an issue that is only going to increase in severity over time um, as, we as we introduce more plastic into terrestrial and marine ecosystems. Wow, actually you have just led us into a very, like a, a topic for today, really microplastics. What are microplastics? Um, what is this microplastics that people keep talking about? Well, microplastics are tiny pieces of plastic, generally less than five millimeters in length. So generally smaller than we would be able to see with the naked eye. And they come from two main sources. We have secondary microplastics, which I was just talking about. That's when litter, bottles, fishing nets, clothing, um, plastic litter, well, clothing, I mean, polyester, um, plastic made clothing. Those things are left in the environment. They break down into smaller pieces and through that they create microplastics. That's called the secondary microplastic because it's made from the secondary breakdown of bigger plastics. And then we also have something called primary microplastics. And these are really small plastic pellets that are made as little plastic pellets to be used in the manufacture of other plastics. So they're um, 
they go into a system and then you make uh, plastic bottles with those with these little microplastics and they're called nurdles and some of our listeners may have heard of nurdles due to the horrific nurdle spill along the KZN coastline that recently occurred and unfortunately um, they are still finding nodals in the beach sand and the biota along the KZN coastline. It's still an ongoing cleanup effort. I think it's been three or four years. So um, there are many different forms of microplastics um, and they can come from either our initial plastic that we're making and we still want to use, or they can come from our discarded plastics. Yeah, um, I think you've said such a mouthful there, but uh, <laughs> I keep just bringing back to like you know the layman to us who just want to know what why is it an important thing why why is it that we should care about microplastics and what are the dangers of microplastics are they more dangerous than actual plastics and um you know why is it that there is such an interest around microplastics now and you know just really you know, all this warning about, you know, why, like, stay away from microplastics, don't create, don't, you know, be part of creating microplastics. I think everywhere we turn around, the United Nations, climate change activists, everyone is talking about this microplastics issue. Why is it such an important topic? I think one of the reasons it's so important is because it's so novel. Um, we don't know enough about microplastics. We only really truly started studying them properly in the last 10 or 15 years. So there are a lot of theories about the environmental problems that they may cause, but we don't know. Um, some of the theories include that, so, so for a smaller animal, like a mussel that I'm looking at, um, a microplastic falls in the same size range as the normal food that they eat out of the water. And so they could be eating microplastics instead of eating food, and they could eventually starve if the level of microplastics got too high. There's also a subsequent concern that these microplastics, when they're in the water, they are also exposed to other pollutants in the water. So say that there's toxic metals or toxic pesticides in the water. There's a concern that those might concentrate onto that little microplastic and then when it's eaten by other animals, it actually increases the chance that they are suffering from a double burden of pollution. So not only did they eat a microplastic, but they ate a poisonous microplastic. So that's a real concern. And I think the biggest thing is that we are finding them every time we go to look in an ecosystem, even the most remote ecosystems, even deep down in the ocean, we're finding them. And that's the real concern is that they are persisting in every level of our ecosystem, but we don't really know what the long-term effect of this is gonna be. And that's the really scary thought. Yeah, um, I think it's it's really scary indeed, indeed when you start saying, you know, we can find, we find them in animals and animals that we eat. We find them, you know, um, in animal, in bodies, people's human bodies, you know, um, yes. I, I, I've read somewhere that, you know, there are, you know, in the nervous system, in the endocrine system, you know, some of them are affecting birth controls. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it really is a, a, like more of an important topic or important subject than meets the eye, right? Yes, they've even been found in the human placenta. A 2021 yeah. study found microplastics in, in female human placentas. And it is quite concerning because what... Could the repercussions for babies be? We don't know. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's actually the scariest thing is that we don't know. And, you know, yes. um, I think for you guys, for scientists, when you don't know, it's it's the scariest thing because then how then do you even advise? How then do you even, you know, take control of the problem? Um, yeah, but I think my interest is how did how how did you start being interested in this microplastics topic and um you know and, and spending so much time in the lab trying to get those answers and make sure that we eventually get to know that you know what microplastics are well i've always been very passionate about the ocean so that's where this all started um i volunteered i was lucky enough to be able to volunteer at the two oceans aquarium in high school and then after that, um, I moved on to study marine biology at the University of Cape Town. And both of those institutions have been raising red flags around plastic pollution and ocean pollution for a very long time. So my passion for ocean pollutants really started there. But as I moved on in my scientific career, I developed much more of a keen interest for invisible pollutants. So the things that we can't see, so, you know, you go to a beach, you see plastic pollution everywhere. You say, oh, this is awful. Something needs to be done about this because it's visible. But invisible pollutants, things like pesticides, heavy metals, and now microplastics, the only way to protect the ecosystem and to protect human consumers from those contaminants in the environment is to actually research and quantify them. Because otherwise, we just don't know what we're doing. We don't know uh, how the seafood that we're ingesting is affecting us. So I just got really passionate about the fact that this is important for both the ecosystem and us humans who rely on the ecosystem. Research like this can help protect the marine species that are being affected by it, and then eventually also help protect the human consumers. And that is to me the best possible when you can combine the importance of protecting an environment with the importance of protecting people, I think you can uh, increase how interested people will be in the topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like I'm just sitting here and hearing you talk about this, I'm just so thankful that you are doing what you are doing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious also, what are some of the findings that you, you do come across? What does your research say about microplastics? Uh, is there anything new, anything interesting that you are seeing in the lab? Well, my research is still ongoing, um, but I can speak a little bit on uh, the two papers that have already been published in, on microplastics in South African or well, Cape Town mussels, actually. Um, there is a Dr. Sparks who has been working on microplastics at the Cape Peninsula University of Technology, CPUT, in Cape Town. And um, he looked at wild mussels in 2020 and retail mussels in 2021. And he found that 98% of wild mussels that he tested from around the Cape Peninsula had microplastics in them, 98%, which is very high because he tested a few hundred mussels. And then when he tested retail mussels, so the ones that are farmed and the ones that we eat, he found microplastics in 87% of the mussels. So incredibly high rates of microplastic um, pre uh, prevalence. Um, but what he did find, which is interesting, is that in general, the amount of microplastics was lower than a lot of international studies. So there may be evidence that microplastic pollution around the Cape coastline, Western Cape coastline at least, is not too bad right now, yeah. but it is definitely present. 
And what was more concerning is that he their, their team also did a study on um, some offshore fish species that are caught by trawlers um, off, the off the Cape coastline. They looked at hake and mackerel, um, gurnard, a few other species. They found a lot of micro, they found microplastics in 86% of those fish, and they found them at equal or higher concentrations than other polluted areas around the world. Yeah. So we are definitely, so we're, we, we can't, a lot of people want to say that the waters in South Africa are pristine because they look pristine a lot of the time, but <laughs> there is definitely invisible pollution. It's there. It may be building, but we don't even, we don't know whether it's building or decreasing over time. This is why studies like this are so important because we need to start seeing, you know, our, are the levels increasing? Are they staying the same? If we put in better plastic recycling, does it go down? You know, we need to we need to know these things. We need to be able to see if we try to use less plastics, is that actually creating the benefit that we want? Yeah, I mean, I think that's incredible. I think just thinking back to what you said earlier about it's not just plastics, it's not just the presence of these microplastics, it's the fact that they are able to absorb and accumulate other toxins that we do know something about and we do know the impact in the body. So once they are assimilated by all these, you know, organisms and eventually our bodies and what what do they do to us? Then borrowing from like medical sciences and other, you know, just ecotoxicological studies that are out there, we do know that, you know, just high levels of copper, for instance, and zinc and, and mercury are very harmful to the body. So, um, you know, the increased sort of surface area to volume ratio of, of microplastics does have the, I would assume, does have the potential to accumulate even higher concentrations of these, of these um, you know, contaminants. Um, are you in agreement? Absolutely in agreement. And the, the contaminants, um, there's also something that develops on these little plastics in the water. They can often develop a little, basically a biosphere, little algae and stuff starts to grow on them. And they call it the plastosphere, which I like the term. Um, and they say that the plastosphere, the toxicity of the plastosphere is what we worry about because we really... We, we, we're already finding, my, the other research that I do when I look at heavy metals, we're already finding things like cadmium are just in the water at levels that are extremely concerning for the environment and the people. And health-wise, if you're going to be eating anything seafood-wise from that environment. So how much worse is it going to make it if those muscles that are already exposed to high levels of cadmium are also then taking up more pesticides and more heavy metals and creating a double pollution burden it's a real it's a real concern i think for me i could hear you talk about this all day and really just <laughs> there is so much to learn and there's so much to take in and um it is really shocking uh, how we take some things for granted and you know when you really sit down they are you know some of the causes of for our you know challenges that we might also you know, see uh, ourselves going through and also health issues that we are going through. Um, I think for me, what is what would you like to see people change when it, it comes to how people interact with plastics or microplastics? What, what change should we be making um, at a personal level? 
Well, I think personally more awareness is needed. Something that um, is probably people aren't particularly aware of is the fact that when looking at the microplastics that I'm looking at in mussels and even in fish, they find the same state is that the microplastics that we find most often, the type, they're classified into little groups, but the type we find most often is called a microplastic fiber. And those fibers tend to exclusively come from textiles. So it's clothing made from polyesters um, and other synthetic materials. And what's really interesting is that is what we're finding most in our mussels and our fish. And the source of that the, the source of those fibers is actually wastewater the big one of the biggest sources of microplastics into our ecosystem is microplastic fibers from when we wash our laundry and a 2011 study that found that um you can one laundry load can release over 1900 microplastic fibers into wastewater and our recycling our um sewage plants and stuff like that they're just not set up to take microplastics like that out of sewage, they're set up to take out larger waste. And it's quite scary that that's what we're finding most in our mussels because there's microplastic pollution from a million different sources, but we're finding the microplastics from clothing in our food. And that's pretty creepy. And I think the biggest thing is that more awareness is really, really needed. We need to realize that our clothing is full of plastics. I'm not sure what how much we can do about that when you've already bought it, but I think going forward, if you have the money to do it, try to move away from synthetic textiles, you know, because those things are not good for the environment. Yeah. But the biggest thing really, the biggest thing at the end of the day is that out of sight, out of out of mind mindset. We need to realize that these products are going to persist. We need to try to try to avoid them if possible. My biggest thing is that if we stop using them, eventually companies will stop making them. But that is a very, very difficult thing, you know, in your daily life. It's very difficult to make large changes like that. But we need yeah. to start taking it more seriously. Literally, I'm getting goosebumps listening to you just <laughs> breaking down, you know, what is it that, um, you know, these microplastics are causing and what our responsibility is. And, um You've touched on, you know, we should be doing something about it and we should learn and educate ourselves about, you know, the textiles and different fibers and, you know, how we do our laundry. Um, but my thing is, you know, who is responsible for plastic? Because someone would say, listen, I, I, I go to a shop, I see a dress. It's not my responsibility to say, okay, I like this dress, but let me see how much polyester is in this you know in the stress um before i buy it and and you know um and then you go to manufacturers and they say hey as long as the consumers are buying our products there is no need for us to stop producing what we're producing because there is demand for it right so Absolutely. Um, yeah so we find ourselves in this sort of catch-22 type of situation so who should be the ones driving the microplastics reduction, you know, just um, procedure? Who should we, who should do that? Well, I, obviously, that I do think that there is a burden on consumers to make the changes, but I am a firm believer in the polluter pays principle. So the industry that benefits from the creation of cheap plastics is most responsible 
for cleaning them up, for making change. But unfortunately, those industries are profit motivated. So they're extremely unlikely to do this without pressure from consumers. So that once it's a complicated situation where it does put the responsibility back in the consumer's hand because we have more power than we realize. If we look at things like the plastic straw ban that came into effect worldwide because of a very popular video with an extremely distressed turtle that had a straw embedded in his nose, that consumers getting upset about that resulted in real change, which shows the power of the consumer. But at the end of the day, we cannot expect consumers who are trying to just get through life and get through the difficulty of modern life, we cannot expect the burden to be on them. So the burden has to be on the producer of the plastic, but they're not going to take that burden unless someone makes them take it. So that has to be a consumer or government mandated kind of focus that we need to push industries to do this because a profit-based company will respond to bad press faster than anything else. And then, and then in terms of you and I, as scientists, we're responsible for making sure that the research that we do actually benefits the most vulnerable um, and making sure that our research is communicated really clearly to the public and to the government, which is why podcasts like this, I would get so excited about because it's going to be a massive team effort to change the status quo. But the first thing we need to do is get people to care. We need to get people to care. And then maybe they will take that caring to lobby the government, to have newspaper articles about things that they're getting upset about. And that pressure hopefully eventually leads to change. It should be on industry, but it's on the consumer. That is the sad reality. Yeah, I I, I love that you actually also, you know, made mention of the government and legislature and how that is massively, massively important. Um, and and that, you know, the science that we do and produce and, and put out there is, is supposed to inform legislation, right? It's supposed to inform how decision-making is conducted. And um, yeah, I think I, I love that you actually mentioned that. I, I do know that as scientists, in most cases, we, we don't really go there. You know, we stop at production, at, you know, just having our articles and our ratings and we're happy. But uh, yes, I, we think I think publication is sufficient. Yeah. Hey, that's our currency. <laughs> it's like publish <laughs> or perish. Yeah. Publish uh, or so, perish. But the thing is, it's publish, perish, and then communicate. Publish, don't perish, and then communicate. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Um, yeah. So I really thank you so much for really coming in. I think I have learned so much I'm, and I'm hopeful that our listeners have learned a lot as well. Uh, just interested in what is it that you, you think the 20 years, the next 20 years of our world, or I think first South Africa and then, you know, the globe will be, will look like if we continue as business as usual. And if we stop, so just like paint the two scenarios that if we make the decisions to, you know, just uh, try and do better, then this is what we will look like. And if we continue as business as usual, then um, 20 years down the line, this is exactly what we're going to be seeing. Well, I mean, South Africa as a country, we have incredible potential because we have a lot of people without work and jobs who are needing desperately in need of jobs and creating a stronger industry around plastic recycling, plastic waste collection. I mean, 
we already have a very good recycling industry in this country for glass and aluminium, because if people return them, they can get money back for them. So I think we, we have this amazing opportunity for change where people who need jobs can definitely, if we create incentives for returning plastic, we can create an industry around this where we're incredibly proud, like locally proud of how we look after our plastics, how we look after our environment. I think we do have the potential to create that passion in this country. We've got a lot of passionate people and we've got a lot of people needing jobs. So those things can definitely come together. In terms of internationally, uh, it's very complicated, the international plastic outlook because we've got the terrible situation where a lot of countries, instead of truly assessing the plastic problem that they create, they export those plastics to third world countries hmm. and they just it, that's a completely just perpetuating the out of sight out of mind thing you know it's not in my backyard so why is it a problem yeah and we really internationally we need to address this it needs to be who creates it must sort it out and um what's really scary is that um one of the papers that i was reading recently said that they predict a 50-fold increase in marine microplastic debris by the end of the century, if we continue business as usual. Oh. So what we're finding now, so what Dr. Sparks and his team at CPUT found was that, okay, per 250 gram portion of mussels that you are eating, you could get take in up to 10 microplastics. Well, if we increase that by 50 fold, you got 500 microplastics. Yeah. <laughs> proportion which is terrifying that is so, terrifying that is so, yeah. but i think i think that we don't we shouldn't be we shouldn't despair too much as well though because despair stops people from acting and i just i like to take the example of the stockholm convention on persistent organic pollutants that came into effect because we realized that persistent organic pollutants, pesticides, all of those things, we realized that they were an international problem. They were a cross-border problem. The pesticides produced and used in one country could affect the livelihoods of people in other countries because they persist in ecosystems. And that Stockholm Convention took all the countries in the world and got them all together and they banned particular pesticides, stuff like DDT, they banned them from use internationally, from manufacture and use. And that has, we have evidence that that has massively decreased environmental pollution of DDT and other pesticides. And that was only, I think that was only 15 years ago that that came into effect. So we need to not despair. We need to know that if we act, if we do something and if we care and we take this seriously, that we can make a difference. Amazing. You know, what I love is that you actually ended on a very positive note, right? So yeah. <laughs> I would like to do that. <laughs> yeah, that there is hope. I mean, you've just like really given us a mouthful. I think there's a lot that, you know, we, we just will go back and think about it. I will go back and think about things that I didn't know and new findings in this, you know, microplastics field. And um, really just educating each other and, and making sure that we understand um, that we have the power to make the change, um, that it is always in us, right? Uh, so I thank yes. you for that. And thank you for just 
bringing insight um, and also just a, a, you know, just a glitter of hope that, you know, it's not all lost. We shouldn't be in despair. There is a, still something that we can do. Uh, so Absolutely. any last, any, any last words of advice um, to the community out there, anyone who just says, you know, listen, I, I want to do something, but I don't know where to start. Or I didn't know that plastic is something that is such a big issue. And I really want to just also start being part of the solution and not the problem. Well, there's a lot of options. Um, I know that most communities, most coastal communities nowadays have beach cleanups, regular beach cleanups, things like that. It's a wonderful way to participate with other people who are passionate about the ocean and about uh, pollution. And it means, and there's often a lot of people involved in those that are very connected within the community. And those type of people will help you find more ways to be involved. And I mean, there, there are so many ways you can, I mean, volunteering at the Two Oceans Aquarium is definitely one of them there, or just even go to visit the Two Oceans Aquarium because they have a lot of education there about plastics and microplastics. They're doing a lot of education work. And yeah, as much as possible, just for consumers to try and be interested and aware of what is happening with plastics around them. So try to know where your, like to recycle, but know where your recyclables are going. Are they actually going to uh, industry that is recycling them properly? Or is it one of these greenwashing situations where someone says they're going to be helpful and they're not? Just try be aware of these things um, and try be aware of your own plastic use. I also... A lot of people recently have fallen off the eco-bricking train because it is sometimes difficult to find a place to take your filled eco-brick to. And in case people don't know what an eco-brick is, it's when you take a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola or something like that, and you take your non-recyclable plastics and you put them in there. So the pla those thin plastic films that come on vegetables are often unrecyclable. And something like that floating in the ocean will look like a jellyfish to a turtle and they'll eat it. So even every everything that you do actually does make a difference. Even if it's a small difference, it makes a difference. So keeping those non-recyclable plastics inside another non-recyclable plastic, it's not the perfect solution, but it's a start. And I think people just need to try, just try things, see what you can do, see what works for you. Um, it feels good to try. <laughs> That's what I can say. It feels good to try. I think we love that so much. I thank you for so, so much um, for just coming through, hey, and for taking your time out of your very busy schedule and, uh, you know, just sitting down and educating us about this topic. Um, we really appreciate it. And we wish you all the very best with your studies, with your research as well. And um, hopefully you'll come back once everything is done and, and come and share with us what your findings are because... I don't think we've exhausted this topic by any means. Oh, absolutely. I would love to return. Thank you so much for, happy, for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much for bringing attention to this and for caring about it because it, it means a lot for everybody doing research. It means a lot to have our research put out there to people, to the public, um, to people who might care to hear. It, it really means a lot and to interact with other passionate people just makes me so happy <laughs> awesome thank you so thank you so much, much.
Have a lovely day. Thank you for the meeting. You too. Bye for now. Bye for now.